We are recording. Hopefully it will, you know, keep recording because it's sort of the point, right? But we'll see. Okay, let's go ahead and pray together before we get started. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a great day, a beautiful day, coolness. And uh, as we gather tonight, Lord, help us to focus on the kids that you've given us. We recognize, Lord, that they're gifts. Sometimes they're also challenges. And so we just ask that you would give us the strength and the focus that we would be able to respond to that challenge and be faithful to you as we raise those children. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So real quick, um, by way of review, what is your ultimate, and, and I will even couch this as from my perspective, so that should give you a big hint. What is your ultimate goal? as a parent. Um, that's a bit broad for a goal. That's like extraordinarily broad. And teach is almost identical to it. So no, we're going to have to pull it down. And do you always do what Lenore tells you? Okay. Leading Exactly. Our goal as parents, in essence, are to disciple our children. Now, obviously, that's from a Christian perspective, but that shouldn't surprise anybody that I'm going to say that. Um, you, can, you can produce all sorts of other stuff. Your child could be very uh, socially skilled. Your child could be uh, somebody who's intelligent, somebody who... Uh, makes, you know, half a million a year, has wonderful finances, retires, has fun. If they don't know the Lord, the reality is, in the blink of an eye, they're eternally condemned. And as Jesus said, what good does it do you to gain the whole world if you lose your own life? So uh, our ultimate goal is this, and we need to keep that in mind, because everything else that we do, all those other goals, are there to support that, okay? Now, what is the best approach to that goal? Also, uh, yes, I'm fishing for something specific, and yet I worded it so vaguely to see what you would come up with. Okay, that's one of them. You're on target. You cannot do this if that's not you. If you're not a disciple, if you're not following Jesus, do not expect your kids to. Okay? Not, not force it. I don't know. I don't, not push them to. But, so going off of leading, like I lead and he's following. Okay. So, uh, again, back to modeling, what we've called modeling. Exactly. That's the word. Okay, communication. Okay. You're exactly on track. Now, if we were to look at modeling and communication as presented in this class, what do they fall under? Yes, it's not a trick question. <laughs> you probably know. If you look at, at modeling and communication as presented in this class, what do they fall under? So... Nope. But you're in the right taxonomy. Prevention. Prevention. 
So the best approach, and I did focus on that for uh, two different sessions. I said that several different times, which is why I feel free to ask it this way. The best approach is to avoid problems before they start. Keep them on the track, as it were, as opposed to trying to help them once they've derailed to get back on. Now, is that going to work for everyone perfectly? Of course not. We're human. Our kids are born into a fallen world. Uh, our kids will sin. Our kid will, kids will go off the track some. But I have heard this, and it really, really bothers me because it's not true. All kids will rebel, meaning will leave what their parents want, will go off and do their own thing, and you know they're going to drink, they're going to use drugs, they're going to be wild. All kids are going to do that, but they might come back if you're effective. That's a lie. I mean, that's just flat out a lie. Not all kids do that. In fact, statistically, most don't do that. So the question is, how do we help our children to be part of the positive group as opposed to those who do go off the rail? Well, that's part of it. Now, what would that be in terms of prevention? Okay, what would that be in terms of prevention? What you just said. No, no. I'm going to bring you back constantly to the model that we're presenting because the point of this class is not to tell you do this when, but to give you a way of processing anything your kids present to you and help you make decisions. So... To keep them on track and structure, you were referring to relationships, keeping them right with the right people. What is that called as presented in here? A plan. It's a no, whole, uh, no, I'm sorry. Very specific thing that we called it in here. Talked about it for a lot of time. Oh, the parenting team are the people who are doing this, but this is the this. I'll give you a hint. We're still in prevention the way you phrased it. The prevention method? It is structuring. And structuring involves not just relationships, but the physical space, the schedule, and the rules themselves. Okay? So when we're talking about keeping them, for example, with the right people and so forth, that is prevention. Now, if they've already gotten involved with the wrong people, now we have to do something different and that's called restructuring. And sometimes that's a whole lot harder than other times. Depends on how connected they are. But now we have to break a, a bond or a relationship in order to then get them with the people who are going to be positive for them. And that's a whole lot harder to do than simply to get them there to begin with and hopefully prevent the bonds being formed with the people who are, are going to be a bad chemistry for them. And I would, I would hasten to add this, and I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The reality is this is not saying that you want to keep them from bad kids. Yours might be the bad kid. I don't know. You want to keep them from people with whom they interact to present a negative result. And I've seen two kids who, you know, in terms of of their overall life and the way they are in general, most people would say they're pretty good kids. But I've seen two of those get together and the chemistry just wasn't good. And together they start spiraling down. They brought each other down. 
And if that happens, it's not about is my kid the problem, is your kid the problem? It's, hey, this combination isn't working. So we need to break that up. And, and that's going to be a whole lot easier to do, by the way, if I don't go to the other parent and say, your kid is bringing my kid down. Because, you know, guess what? Somehow, for some reason, that doesn't usually bring about a positive response. I don't know why. But there you go. Because when you uh, use the word you, yeah. I, I totally put it on. It's your fault and your kid's fault and you're horrible people, so stay away from my kid. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I think of some of the things that I went through with some of my kids, and Josh particularly, and uh, one family in particular that we were pretty close to. They were a solid family. I know the parents. They were, they were grounded. They loved the Lord. But their oldest son and my son, you put those two together, and it was, for whatever reason, it was just a bad chemistry. So after a while, it was, okay, let's just stop them from being together. <laughs> and, you know, it took us a while to catch on, but I'm slow, but I get there. Okay. These things are extraordinarily important to keep in mind all the time. You literally need to get to the point where when you're done with this class, if this is going to be useful to you, you need to be able to say right off the bat, that's what we're about. We're about raising kids to love the Lord. We're about raising kids who will follow the Lord. Okay, and how are you going to do that? Well, because we're going to set goals. Some of you are trying to go there, and you're right. But the goals are the where you want to go, not the how. So you got to set the goals or you won't go anywhere. But we're going to set the goals, and then we're going to try to keep our kids on that path so they don't go off and have to then pay the price of going off. If a train derails, it doesn't just hop back on the rails. Have you noticed? Have you ever seen pictures of a derailed train? They're all mangled up. You, you just about got to recreate those stupid things and then get a crane that can lift these amazing weights and get it back. It's a big deal. Fortunately, a lot of times it's not as big a deal, level one, for example, to do that with our kids. But it's a whole lot easier for them and for us to just keep them on the track to begin with. Okay? But if we think in terms of that card that I presented to you a couple weeks ago, there's a situation or a goal the situation or the goal, you have to answer a question. The first question you have to answer is, is this a disciplined situation at all? And who determines that? The parent does. I can't tell you. I shared the, the earring illustration in here, right, with my son? Yes. Okay. So, was it a disciplined situation? Well, for all these other parents coming and talking to me, apparently it was. For me, it was like, really? You're going to make a big deal out of that? So for me, no. I don't, I don't really care. It's not my ear. You know? So if you decide it's not a disciplined situation, fine. Just keep an eye on it. Make sure they're moving with your goals. And that, by the way, is how you decide. Is there anything about this that's going to derail them or move them away from the goals that we've set? Because the answer is yes, then by definition, you got a problem. Okay. Now, what if you've got a situation where nothing's gone wrong, but there's something specific you want to see accomplished? 
What do you do? Generically, what do you do? Nothing's gone wrong, but there's something specifically you want us to accomplish. Mm -hmm. In other words, your goals. Well, there's one of the things you did. What would that be? Explaining it to the kid. No. Consequences is a is a correction. Pardon? Well, uh, yeah, explain it to the kid. What is that? It's prevention. It's communication, which is one of the prevention methods. So the first thing we've got to do is train ourselves to keep going to prevention. And you guys are doing exactly what 99% of parents do. And that is we keep thinking because we've already experienced it of what to do when things are going wrong. And so we keep going back to all those methods that are correction. Our first thought needs to be back to prevention. Okay. Now, if something goes wrong, then of course, now I've got to correct. And the first thing I want to do is try the lower intensity methods. But tonight, we're going to be talking about the middle one, which is level two. So what is the difference in terms of the criteria for deciding, do I do level one or level two? What kinds of things would make you think this behavior requires more than level one? Pardon? Well, the consequences is your choice. So I'm talking about before you make the choice. How do you decide to go there? What, what tells you to go there? What they've done. I mean, level one didn't work. Okay, level one didn't work, first of all. So that means they've done it before, right? So they've done it before. I've tried all these other things. Now, if I did, they've done it before, I tried a thing with level one. Am I ready for level two? Not necessarily, because, again, the, the definition of a level one offense is something that I can handle happening again, both because it's not going to drive me crazy, let's be real, there's, there's that, but also because it's not going to be dangerous for my child, and because it's not going to be such a moral offense, and I, I think this really wraps back into dangerous, but it's not physically dangerous, but it's morally dangerous. So if there's a moral thing going on and I'm saying, no, 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 we're not letting that pattern root itself, then okay, I, I don't necessarily then want to do another response where it's it's very strong possibility this could happen again. Now, by the way, no response is guaranteed to not let it happen again except uh, well-executed force control. And by definition, we'll talk about that in our next session, that is not teaching or training. That's controlling, which is essential when control is necessary. Most obvious uh, illustration, we use this all the time. You've got a two-year-old who's running out into the middle of, of Lincoln Avenue. So what do you do? Grab them. You grab them. You don't, you don't sit there and think through methods. You grab them because there's a semi-bearing down that you really not like to see run over your two-year-old. So that's what force control is about. 
Now, with a 16-year-old, it's going to be different kinds of things and a different type of approach. You're not going to physically do that. But you're still taking control. So force control is a little bit different. Everything else, you're trying to teach them. You're trying to train them. Okay, let's go back to the difference between level one and level two. What else might tell you level two might be appropriate here? Okay, so not just that, that one thing happened, but I've tried a number of those others, and it's simply not happening. How many times do you wait? It depends. It depends on you know, the, the offense itself. It depends on your response to the, the offense. Is it becoming more frequent or less? You, know, the, you just got to evaluate the whole thing. Pardon? Okay, now that's an entirely new thing. And another one of the key criteria to decide whether you want level one or level two. Where is this particular child with regard to their understanding? Because level two is going to require a degree of maturity on the part of the child. So level two never works for a one-year-old. Okay? It's just not appropriate for a one-year-old, so you're not going to do it. Will it work for a two-year-old? Mm, not usually, but a little bit. Will it work for a 10-year-old? Well, which one? Will it work for a 16-year-old? One of them, no, and a couple of them, way better. So you've got to know your child and or youth and have a very good understanding of how their development relates to the offense. Is that making sense? Okay, so um, has everybody reviewed in your book, your manual, level two, the three different methods? You'll notice, by the way, because I am grouping these things in big groups, that the, the more intense you get, the fewer there are. So we start with prevention, and then we narrow it a little bit to, to level one. Level two has only got three, and level three has only got two. So, the first one for level two is timeout. How many of you have used timeout? Okay. It's one of these, it's, it's almost universal. It's almost dangerous it's so universal. Timeout is by far the most taught and encouraged today. If you have worked with anybody who works with any government agency or any agency funded by the government, you've been taught timeout. It's pretty much guaranteed. For the child. We're talking discipline. So why is it, you suppose, this is so commonly taught for children? What about it makes that? Well, it disengages the, theoretically, it disengages the child from whatever is going on, their behavior. And number two, um, it, from the governmental perspective, I guess, it removes the parent from thinking about okay. You, you just hit it. It is a non-physical response. And the reality is that almost every government, well, not almost, every government agency is going to guide you towards totally non-physical response. If you adopt a child in this state from the state, you will sign a commitment to never use corporal discipline ever in that child's life. 
You don't get to adopt them otherwise. That's just one of the part of the, the state law because they're so committed to it. Why is that? Pardon? Yeah, it's, it's abuse prevention. Now, I teach spanking. That's one, uh, with force control, that's one of the two that we're going to look at with level three. Spanking is not illegal in any state in the union. Okay? So anybody tells you it is, tell them you need to go back and look at the law. Uh, however, spanking certain ways. What, well, what is spanking? And that's the problem. Because we have lots of different definitions. I know people who consider backhanding their kid across the face spanking. Well, that's not, and that'll get you arrested. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm going to go there with the definition the next session. But time out is focused on so much because it keeps you away from the physical response. The danger to that is it becomes taught as the universal response. And if you're using it as a universal response, you will make it pretty much worthless, both to the child and to you. Okay? In fact, here's, what, here's what's going to happen if you use it for everything. Your kid's going to get very, very clearly the message that anytime they do anything you don't like, you don't like them and you don't want them around. Because what are you doing with time out? You're sending them away. So we've got to be very careful about overuse of timeout. So here's my definition of timeout. Timeout is removing the child or youth, although it definitely is more effective with children than youth. Removing them from stimulation when they are overstimulated to the point where they've either lost control or you can see it's about to happen. And when you're there with your kids, you know, we know our kids' patterns. And how many times have you watched that develop and you see, you know, the, the, the temperature rising and you know where that's going. So time out, ideally, is arranged with the child ahead of time. Meaning, if I say, Josh, time out. That's all I need to say. Because Josh knows exactly what it means. He knows where to go. He knows how long he's going to be there. And he knows what he's going to do and not do. Because time out is a removal of stimulation, not moving the child and then who cares what they do. So here's one of the biggest reasons time out fails. We put the child in a place that is just as stimulating as where they've been. So for example, I'm going to put the child on his bed. What's in the average children's bedroom? Lots of toys. In fact, not just toys, his toys. <laughs> the one he likes, the ones he wants to be playing with. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in his room, right? So what I just did is put him where he's more, not less likely to be stimulated, which means less likely to get control. Because that's what timeout's about, is giving them time to ramp down a bit and get back into control themselves and then you can let them back into whatever situation. So ideally, timeout's going to be arranged in a neutral place. It's not their place, not their bedroom, but it's also not where they are, especially if they're with other kids. Because putting a, a child on timeout in front of other kids is guaranteed humiliation. Number one, it's biblically forbidden. Did you know that? Read Ephesians, read Colossians. There are actual prohibitions in there on how we 
treat our kids. And number two, the reason that is, is because it's guaranteed to cause a problem with your child, not correct one. Humiliation is not a good thing. It may help you control, but if, if momentary control is what you're after, you are in for an explosion sooner or later. So that's, that's not what we're wanting to see. We want the child to get to the point where they recognize their own patterns, they're eventually able to pull themselves away from situations like this, calm themselves down, and then re-enter. So, for example, most families are going to have a room that is not the bedroom, but that there's no kids in. What room might that be? Pardon? Okay, it might be a hallway if it's a big enough hallway. Bathroom, maybe. Bathroom's got some, some issues for younger children. What can you think of? The toilet. Yeah, that's not good. More, more to the point for me is um, somehow my family, the kids just love running water. And one of those two running water things will burn you. So if I put a two-year-old on timeout in the bathroom, Kitchen's yeah, I'm in trouble. Uh, a seven-year-old, that might work well. Kitchen table, dining room table, um, a place like that. It's got other things going on, but as long as those things are not kids... They're probably not toys. So the, dining, the average dining room, if you've actually got a dining room, the average dining room is perfect because dining rooms are set up for uh, who? Adults. Kids are bored snotless in dining rooms. They don't like dining room stuff. So they're sitting there with nothing stimulating them. And that's really the idea. So you work this out in advance. Now, not every home has enough room so the smaller the home and the more kids you've got, the harder this is, right? And it's possible you'll have to, to designate a place that's less ideal. One of the ones we used to, to use um, when we were in a smaller home was our bed, parents' bed. You've got to be careful because if you're doing that with a two-year-old, the bed's bigger. Yelling, boing, yep, you just, you just put them on timeout on a trampoline. But if you're doing that with a five, six, seven-year-old, normally, they get it, and, and it's going to work. And once again, most of the stuff in my bedroom is not particularly interesting to a child. So you're, you're avoiding that issue. How long do you do timeout? Okay, the, the rule of thumb is one minute per age of the child. Now... I suggest you use that as a starting point because you're going to find out what works. For some kids, we had one who we never really went past two because that's all it took. She would she'd get away a couple minutes later. She's fine. This is not punishment. This is not a sentence that we're trying to make sure is carried out. It's there to help her gain control. So if the control's there, let her go back in. Here's what happened when I didn't do that, by the way, just to throw another one of those Randy fails out there. I've had people say, you know, it's really helpful to know you did that. I don't, I don't somehow see the value in that personally, but okay. Uh, trust me, there are way more of those I could use than the ones I choose. But if you've got a child who will come under control at, say, two minutes, and you leave that child for five, especially if you're not monitoring the timeout, one of two things can happen. Either the child then 
once again gets bored and loses the control again. Or I came back to one who cried herself to sleep. I was doing, we were actually moving and I was busy and I was, and I came back and this poor little girl was, I mean, you talk about feeling horrible and I'm looking at her like, oh, I don't believe I did that, but I did. So what was intended as discipline ended up being a punishment. Not because I wanted to, but because it's what happened. So we need to be careful of that, which also means timeout should not be used by a parent as a way to get the child out of the parent's hair. Because really, the parent should be even more involved with the child during that. Not immediately, meaning not right there, but for example, if that child is uh, in the dining room, I want to know what they're doing. If they're sitting on my bed, how do I know they're not jumping up and down? How do I know? I have to monitor them. And if I watch, meaning the door is open and I'm standing like this, yeah, that's not time out. That's my kid learning a new game with, with dad. So I've got to be a little bit subtle about how I'm doing that. I don't mind them knowing I'm monitoring them. They're going to know because if I go in and they are, you know, I kind of look in and he's bouncing, I'm opening the door and starting in. What do I do if he's bouncing? What's the first thing you do? Well, yeah, you're going to stop. You're going to say stop. And since they're on timeout, usually they're going to jump down and act like you didn't see that. You know, it's amazing what they think you didn't see. So then what do you do? Yeah, you don't restart it. You start it. And that's important because they need to hear it never started. You came in here and played. That's not what this is about. So now it starts. Okay? Ideally, I'm throwing lots of ideals at you. Not everything's ideal. So you, you have to monitor it and do what you can do. Ideally, you don't time them. They time themselves. Because the goal of this is they learn this themselves. They learn to do this for themselves. So how can they time themselves? Like when they uh, hear something like that, you can have me on time, be off, time out now, something like that? Yeah, except, I, I don't know about your kids, but with mine that was usually like 30 seconds. <laughs> and every 30 seconds thereafter. <laughs> okay? So it, it may be that for your child, they intuitively know. Um, you may now rise up and thank God for that because you are one in a thousand if that happens. So it's a good thing, but not too many are going to be that. What, what did you say, James? For our little one, normally when he goes on time out, he's screaming. So I normally tell him, when you're all done and you calm down, then you could come tell me you're ready to get Okay, so there's a behavioral indicator that helps them, and it becomes not so much about the minutes, which for a little one like Kalani... That's still very conceptual. But he knows if he's screaming or not. Okay. Let's say for, for a typical six-year-old. How many rooms are there not a clock in? I don't have a clock in my house. <laughs> then you might want to get one if you want to use that. What I find is most rooms have a clock. And a six, and that's why I, I, I chose six, because a six-year-old 
has probably learned how to tell time. By the way, a four-year-old or a five-year-old can tell the digital. Egg timers, even the, the old hourglass time or the, the crank time, those will work. And again, kids can be trained to do that very simply. So turn that over. When it's all done, bring it to me. So they bring it to you and it's half full still. It's, yeah, is that done? You need to start over. And that will be pretty much the last time they do that because they figured out that doesn't work. So you, you give them these ways. Now, time out, the reason it is level two instead of level one is because you are removing them from something they very much want to be part of. So the rest of it doesn't feel that intense, that extreme, and it's not. But the initiation of it, yeah, that is. And don't be terribly surprised if they throw a fit when you do that. Because if they didn't want to be a part of that, they probably wouldn't have been overstimulated to begin with. Right? So that's why timeout is considered level two. I suggest that you sit down and think through, and if you've got um, a husband or wife that's with you disciplining in the same home, it's different with secondary parents, it's not in the same place because it's a very immediate thing. But if you do, then sit down with them and ask, what kinds of things does that child tend to get overstimulated with? And if you've got three kids, it's probably three different lists. And make those the things that you sit down with your kids and say, hey, have you noticed that when this starts happening, you tend to get really into it, and then you get all upset, and then we have an issue, and then you're screaming and crying, and you're mad, and you're hurt. And, and you know, the kids may not get the progression, but they've all experienced the end of it. So the answer is, yeah, I know. Okay, I want to work with you and give you a way to avoid that so that you don't have to get to that point and feel that bad. Okay. Now, go ahead. Um, what about lying? Is that an overstimulation? Not really, right? Li no. Some Lying's not about stimulation normally. Okay, so, so now what level? Yeah, that's a whole different question. Okay. We'll come back to it. Okay. In fact, at the end, I'm going to ask for examples, bring it up again. Okay? So when we're setting it up, I'm going to explain this to the child, and obviously differently to a 3-year-old than a 10-year-old. In my experience, at least, after 10, this is not that useful. And there's other methods that tend to be way more. Now, again, obviously, every child's different. So your 11-year-old timeout might still be a good idea. But hopefully by that time, it's a different kind of, it's almost a restructuring where you've trained them to self-regulate. Now, you mentioned earlier, you said something like the parent or the, or the child. So let me throw in real quick parental timeout, which is almost the same thing, except it's, it's clearly not a discipline method for the child. It's not about the child's behavior. Can I interrupt you? Because Go ahead. it worked for me. It, I was taught it in college last year from my, my um, parental professor, and it works for me because I don't have to yell at him. I don't have to do anything other than just go like this 
And he knows not to talk to me. Okay. Now, he knows the rules. One of the things you got to be careful of is what age, because that's not going to happen with a two-year-old. No. But yeah, with a child who's old enough, parental timeout is basically saying to the child, and I would encourage you to actually say it, because again, you're, you're trying to get them to accept the premise that there's times they get out of control and they need to get back in. Okay. Now, when you say, me too, and you live that and you show them that you do that, they're way more likely to buy this and, and actually buy into it. So parental timeout is, I am beginning to lose control. It is not, you are driving me crazy, so because you just put it all on them. And no, you know, another parent might not be driven crazy. you got to own this. I'm losing control, so I'm going to step away. I'm going to go into my room for five minutes. I need to not be interrupted. You do not say, I'm going to go into my room for an hour. Because if you've got children this age, you don't do that unless you've got another parent taking over. Okay, In which case, go for it. If you can get an hour, hey, more power to you. But the idea is you feel yourself losing control. And you come back in. The main thing that's going to keep you in discipline mode as opposed to punishment is you being in control. Because if you lose self-control, you're going to go to the, to the punishment thing pretty much every time. Um, Jay, I think I used that concept actually a little bit because I've had a fairly rough day today and I wanted to get myself in the mindset for being there and out of that mindset. So when we got in the car, my daughter was talking and it was like really intense for me at that precise moment, so I turned to her and I said, hey, sweetie, let's play the quiet game real quick <laughs> to get a few moments to collect my thoughts and get her to settle down for a second. Yeah. As parental timeout, no. As restructuring or distraction, yeah. And, you know, can you reap some reward from that? If it works, yeah. It did. She counted backwards. Three, two, one. There you go. She was quiet. There you go. Here's what didn't happen. And here's why I would... I didn't even know what was going on. Yeah. Here's why I wouldn't do that personally. If what I'm trying to do is teach them self-control. Even if, it's, if I need it, but I'm still trying to teach that for them. I want them to know I'm doing that. See, what you did, you know you did it. You know you did it. I know you did it. Does your daughter understand why you did it? No. See? So what I would add, and I mean, you can do it that way, but she's old enough that you could pull her aside. See, you remember when we did that? Let me tell you what I was doing. You know how you lose control sometimes? You get so emotional and you just, sometimes I do too. I was getting that back. Because you just taught her a really positive thing by telling her that. Mom does that too. A, I'm not bad, weird, or some sort of a monster because I lose control. Adults do too. And B, there's a way to deal with that. And you just taught her that. So combine the two. You found that that works, great. Keep working. I don't normally see letting the kid in on what you're doing undermining it. Usually, it's going to actually work in your favor. Okay, now timeout is only one of the three. It requires that the child understand and have the capacity to regain control. There are times when they're so out of control. Classic case in point. I've got a two-year-old who is 
throwing the mother of all temper tantrums right there in front of me, right, right there, right? Can you see her? Right there. You can all see it happening, can't you? Okay, now, time out. What just happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Maybe an increase in volume from her. Probably not even that. She's just, she's not listening. She is already out, so far out of control. And she's two-year-old, which means her capacity to regain that is extraordinarily limited. So I'm going to have to do something different with that circumstance. Okay. Now, on the other hand, if I have a six-year-old I've just said no to, and she, she picks up her book and throws it on the ground, and I say, time out. What about that? See, she hasn't gone that crazy, out-of-control, you know, monster thing yet. She's old enough that, I mean, think about it, she's three times the age of the other one. And the difference between a six-year-old and a two-year-old is immense in their ability to respond to things like that. And it's immediate. If I wait until she's now broken everything in her room, eh, it's probably a bit late. So what are you going to do with this one? Which one? You know, when we ask for examples, you should bring that up. i got to stay on track and do the consequences. No, no. I, because there's going to be, at the end of this class and a lot of the next one, I'm going to ask, okay, give some examples. Let's walk through the whole system and think it through the way I'm talking about. So we need each age and different kinds of scenarios. Now, Consequences. Consequences is exactly what it sounds like. Whatever the kids do that is a misbehavior, there is a result. For any consequence to work, there's some things that have to be true. Number one, they have to not like the result. Okay? So, okay, you spilled your milk because you kept playing around. You don't get to have your milk. Well, if the kid happens to hate milk... You just taught them how to not have to drink milk. <laughs> and whatever the misbehavior was, it's going to happen every time now. They'll pick that one up real quick. So they have to not like the consequence. And believe it or not, there's times when you're sure they can't possibly like that consequence. And they do for some reason. Number two, it needs to be safe. Whether it's natural or something I'm invoking, it has to be safe. Because if it's not, then we just moved away from discipline, we're into punishment, and we're probably going to harm the child. And I'm pretty sure nobody in this room wants that to happen. So we need to be sure of safety. Okay? Now, there's two kinds of consequences. The first one is natural. And the reason it's the first one is, what do you do? For n Pardon? Yeah. You do nothing. Uh, you're, you're passive, but there is something you're passively doing, and that is you're not bailing them out. And I will tell you, in my life at least, when consequences don't work, three out of four times it's because I bailed them out. Because I just, I just gave up. I, I can't handle watching my kid feel that way. And, and, you know, and then I step in and I bail them out. None of us, hopefully, likes seeing our kids hurt. Okay? And I'm not just talking physical, I mean even emotional. We don't like the disappointment. We don't like our kids 
you know, crying. And if you like that, there's another issue that you need to deal with. But we've got to be willing to let them hurt if it's not harming. And so I've got to do nothing. Let it happen. And I know they're not going to like it. That's kind of the point. But i got to let it happen. So you can feel for them, you can hurt for them, but don't give in. Don't bail them out. Natural consequences has to be with a child who, if it's a true learning as opposed to simple conditioning, who is at least moving into concrete operations. Now, do you remember concrete operations? There's a reason we started off with that. What is concrete operations? Can anybody remember? Okay, let me review very quickly. You've got sensory motor, which is learning through what? Through the senses. Or doing the motion itself. Okay? But basically, it's kinetic. They're learning through their body. And that is dominant, zero to two. When do you lose that? When you're dead. <laughs> Otherwise, you still got, every one of us still learns that way. But then they begin to develop, and it's not at two. They begin before that. Two is just kind of a convenient average. And from two to six, they're in what's called pre-operational, where they're beginning to kind of classify things and think symbolically. And the reason think symbolically is so important is that's what language is. This, here's a sound. Dog. What does that mean? It's not trick. What does that mean? Canine? But that's another sound. What does that mean? Woof woof. That's another sound. And by the way, more likely for a two-year-old than canine. But Okay. It's a usually four, hopefully, legged animal, uh, mostly time furry. Uh, of the canine, uh, is that a genus or you know, whatever it is? See, we know these things intuitively, but children learn by beginning to classify things together. And a, and a one-year-old can't do that. So it's not just forming words, it's having a clue what they mean, right? As they do that, they begin to also observe interaction between these things that they're classifying. And they begin to realize that when that happens, that happens. Now, at six... Almost every one of them has already picked up on that. So again, six is that convenient median age that we use, but it doesn't just start at six. A typical four or five-year-old is picking up on that. By six, they're realizing, okay, A can lead to B. Maybe even, and B can lead to C, which means ultimately A leads to C. And they begin to, to do what we call logical progression. Well, consequences is based on logical progression. When that happens, the result is that which you don't like. So best not do that. If they can't do that, all they know is, I really just am not happy right now. This is why a one-year-old can touch a stove, burn their hands, scream their head off, and two weeks later come back and touch the stove again. A six-year-old touches the stove, burns their hands, screams their head off, and never, ever cooks because we know what that leads to, right? I actually watched my, my uh, two-year-old at the time, and this is called association. So you see it beginning, 
But see, he couldn't figure it out. First time he ever had ice cream. This is my grandson, by the way. First time he ever had ice cream. Now, a two-year-old who first has ice cream, it's usually like mom and dad do that on the tongue or let them lick it and they go, like, ooh. So a two-year-old who goes, ooh, what, is, what does a two-year-old want to do? Yeah. And usually it's not, could I have just a little more of that, please? It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what he did. Like a whole scoop in the mouth and immediately brain freeze. Spits it out, screams, has no idea what happens. Does it again. Now, he's beginning to do what's called association, which is the beginning of logical progression, but it's not quite there. Because now what he does is he thinks magically ice cream causes your brain to hurt. So he sees me with an ice cream cone a week later. This is how I know it happened. I wasn't actually physically there. I've got an ice cream cone a week later. He starts screaming his head off. Why is he screaming his head off? He's scared of it. I have the ice cream cone. As far as he knows, ice cream makes your brain hurt, and he's waiting for his brain to start hurting. He hadn't figured out it was putting it in his mouth too much, too fast. See, that would be the, the, the concrete operations, the logical progression. He's doing basic animal um, association. So people get those things confused with, with consequences, and the problem with that is kids don't actually learn what you're trying to teach them. They'll learn an association, but it doesn't mean they've figured out what you're trying to teach them. Whereas a consequence, okay, when you do that, then this happens. And they go, oh, and I don't want to do that then. Why? Because I don't want that happening. Smart. It works. Okay, that is natural consequences. Now, kid is uh, four years old drinks his milk, or starts to drink his milk, but his little hand can't hold the glass. And when you give a glass bigger than a little hand can hold, what happens? It spills. So he spills it. He now doesn't have milk. How do you know if this is a good natural consequence? Okay, so it's not something he can learn from. He, he doesn't understand this. So there's a consequence, but it wasn't a misbehavior. It was he's got a small hand. <laughs> so one of the things that we've got to look for in the behaviors of our kids is, is this a misbehavior or is this immaturity? Because if it's immaturity, we have to help them deal with it. But it's not something that we're going we're to use these methods on, right? On the other hand, he's, he's simply being a kid. He can hold the glass, but he's being a kid. And he's, you know, and he's settled down, and no, and now the milk comes out. How do we know if natural consequences will work? This is review. We've, we've already talked about it. Yeah, but how do we know if they work? Right there. Right there. If he looks at that and goes, oh... Okay, doesn't work. But if he starts crying because he wanted the milk, okay. Now, that's where it kicks in of, you know, how many of us love seeing our kids crying like that? Of course not. But we may need to let them not only cry, but not have the milk. 
which by the way, I'm pretty sure we gave them because it's nutritious and helps them. Uh, this is not gonna send them into malnutrition, folks. We're not talking about doing this for 10 years straight every meal. So don't be wor worried about doing that. It, it is extremely effective. Uh, I had an example brought up Sunday of a teenager who, you know, mom's been trying to help him slow himself down, get ready for school, make sure you got everything, get out the door. Um, doesn't work. So he's now at school and he calls mom, who, by the way, is at work 15, 20 miles away and says, I forgot my wallet. I don't have any money for lunch. So what's the natural consequence? You, what's the natural consequence? You don't have lunch. Okay. Will there be someone who tells you you're a horrible parent? Yes. Of course there will. Now, there's certain people you want to make sure don't think that, so you might even want to make a phone call to the teacher and say, I need to let you in on something happening. But letting the child go, child, kid's a teenager, letting this teenager go without a lunch, is this really going to harm him? No, because my son does 30 hours. Yeah, see, we did that on purpose. <laughs> so no, it's not going to harm him. But he doesn't want to. Hence the phone call, Mom, because, you know, he's basically saying, would you mind driving out here and buying me lunch? Which, <laughs> well, that's true. You've got to make sure that no one else bails him out as, as well. Hence the phone call to the teacher. But in this case, frankly, if his friends were going to bail him out, I suspect he wouldn't have called Mom. His friends still may bail him out, but the thing is, is that he's going to... They didn't. It was an actual situation. So, no, they didn't. So, yeah, could that be undermined by someone else bailing them out? Of course it could. And by the way, that someone could frequently be another parent or a secondary parent. The one that I've run into the most in my life was a grandparent. <laughs> and there's times we had to simply pull the grandparents aside and say, do you want to be around your grandchildren? Well, of course. Okay, then don't ever do that again. And we meant it. You will not come into my home and ignore what we're trying to do in raising our kids. That's not going to happen. And they think they're being cute and being, you know, no, they're not. They're being bad grandparents. So by the way, if you've got grandkids, don't do that. Okay? Because hopefully you care about the ultimate goals for this kid. If you don't, it's all about you. I am a grandparent. I get it. I've even done what I'm saying don't do. And I've seen the reaction from the kids at school who get mad at their parents because they didn't show up for the lunch day out on the picnic tables. Yeah. And they're talking smack about their parents, but yet there's the other parents who come with 10 pizzas and are feeding the other little kids whose parents, and then we have to go through that whole <clears throat> helping them understand that mom and dad Right. Not bad, you know. Right. And that's a whole other thing, and now you're back to the prevention end, hopefully. Okay, so natural consequences, you do nothing to bail out the child. It must be safe. It must be undesirable. If that doesn't work, I need to move on. We'll come back. If that doesn't work, then you can move to logical consequences. By logical, what I mean is there must be a logical connection to the, from the behavior to the consequence. 
Now, as adults, we can frequently say, well, this leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this. How many six-year-olds do you suppose are going to follow that? So if it's a six-year-old, no. You get one jump. This leads to this, period. If it's a 16-year-old, yeah, that other one might work, depending on the kid. So you, as the parent, have to ask yourself, how clear is this to this child, this youth? If it is clear, fine. If it is not, don't try it. Because you've got the power to take things away or make bad things happen to them. They already know this. But if they don't see a connection with the behavior, then all you did is say, I'm big enough to bully you. In their minds. And since we're trying to get them to learn, we have to go with what they can handle. Does that make sense? So the consequence has to be logically related to the offense for them. Also, we're, we're back to the same things. It must not be unsafe. It's got to be something that is undesirable. Okay? So, for example, kid spills the milk, and you say, okay, you don't get any milk. And you notice a little glee in the kid's eyes. And next time, the next day, Kids playing around, you say, you need to stop playing around. You're going to spill your milk. You know what happened last time? And you just reminded him, oh, yeah. And he spills the milk. Because he doesn't like milk. He doesn't want the milk. And you're the one that keeps telling him to drink the milk. So natural consequence isn't working. What might be a logical consequence that, let's say, a five- or six-year-old could see? Okay. You spilled it. It's on the floor. It has to be cleaned. So you need to go get something and clean it up. By the way, you tell them what to get, you tell them how to clean, and you tell them when they're done. Because the average five-year-old will go get a towel, kind of dip it, throw it away, and run away. Okay? So this isn't going to teach them much of anything. So no, 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 no. If you leave it like that, I still have to clean it up. I didn't spill it you're going to clean it up to my standard. So get back to work. And, and amazingly, a five-year-old can take half an hour. And by the way, at the end of that half an hour, if they're really taking half an hour, all they've done is just cover your floor with it. So you're, you're thinking, I don't believe this is happening. But that's okay, because you're teaching them something. And when they're not looking, then you clean the floor and get the sour milk thing off. But you don't do it when they're looking, because you need them to get this message I've got to do this work I don't like doing. If you've got one of those really weird kids who loves cleaning things, yeah, that isn't going to work. But I haven't seen a lot of those. I have one. Well, then you're going to have to try something different. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a logical consequence, okay? Um, for logical consequences... One of the things, the older the kids get, one of the things that can be very, very useful is for it to be prearranged. So you're seeing things that are happening. You've got a 13-year-old. You pull the 13-year-old aside and you say, have you noticed that this is, we've had to talk about this several times? Yeah. Okay. What do you suppose I ought to do if you do that again? So you're bringing them into it. Okay. And, and this can be even prevention. You've got a 16-year-old. What happens with most 16-year-olds? 
What, what is the developmental step that 16-year-olds take? No. They start driving. They get a driver's license. Now, some of this, by the way, the state has stepped in on. When my kids were, were 16, there were no criteria. You know, you can't drive at night. You can't have a friend, whatever. It was just, no, you got a license. The rest of the world must beware, you know, which is scary. So the state has actually stepped in and helped with some of that. But let's say you're talking to your 16-year-old. They're about to get their license, and you know what's going to happen when they get their license. What are they going to do? Now, how are they going to do that? They're going to ask for the car. See? Don't give your 16-year-olds a car, please. For my sake, don't do it, because I'm out there. I'm vulnerable. Okay? So they're going to ask for the car keys. They're going to ask if they can borrow the car. Okay, so you know you're going to want to borrow the car, right? You know you're going to want to use the car. We need to set some what? Some boundaries, some rules. And this is before anything's happened. So you say, so what should the rules be? One of the weird things is a lot of those 16-year-olds will come up with the most draconian set of rules you can imagine. Things you know, there's no way they're ever going to keep these things. And you can just laugh and you, yeah, let's maybe not go there. So you need to make sure they're realistic. Because, see, they don't think they're going to break the rules. So then you say, okay, so one of the rules is you're going to be in by a certain time. Let's say that the state says it's midnight, and you're saying, yeah, that's nice for an 18-year-old, but not my 16-year-old who hasn't been out yet with a car. So I want you in by dark. And tonight, never say by dark. So tonight, it's supposed to be sundown at 9.45. I'll give you 15. You be home by 10. Not 10.01. 10. By the way, if they come in and they say, oh, my watch is an hour off, you say, yeah, I tried that when I was a kid, too. It ain't working for you, either. Okay? <laughs> and that's when they go, oh, wow, really? Because they think they've thought that up. Don't, don't let them get away with stuff like that. So they, they haven't done anything yet. We're, we're setting this up for the future. You're going to be home by 10. What happens if you come home at 10.15? So that, you know, maybe the kid says, no more car. Now, you may be with them, or you may be saying, well, it doesn't have to be quite that bad the first time, but that's your choice. The cool thing you're doing here is you're bringing them into the process. So the, the kid takes the car out and shows up at 10.15. Now, you can approach this two ways, or you can give in, which is the wrong way. The other two ways are both fine. One of them is to simply say, okay, 10.15, you knew better, you were supposed to be here at 10, you're not using the car. For whatever, I mean, I'm going to take the car away, I'm taking the car keys away. Well, it was my car anyway, so probably I've said for X amount of time, you know? And if it's, if it's a kid, he's going to say, don't let me have the car for a month. Because he doesn't think he's going to do that. He's trying to get you on his side. So, yeah, let's make it a week. Or if you weren't planning on letting them have it the rest of the week anyway, let's make it two weeks. So it's felt, but it's realistic. Okay? But here's the other thing you can do. You know, I'm a little surprised at what you decided to do. But I have to respect your maturity. You decided not to use the car for the next two weeks. 
And honestly, I'm probably going to feel sorry for you, but I'm, I'm not going to give in to that because I have to respect your choices. So if, you, that, if that's what you wanted, I'm with you, son. And he's looking at you like, are you nuts? But you see, he made the choice. And all I'm doing is reminding him of that. And every time we've set a consequence up in advance and he chooses to break it, I say, well, you know, I got to respect your decisions. And I got to tell you, they get really tired of hearing that. You know? But they, what are you going to do? They want to be treated like adults. Guess what? That's how we're treated. You know? We have a whole law system out there that if we use our car wrong, there's all these consequences. And we all know about it. And when we sign, remember you did this. When we sign for our license, we agree to those. So the next time you're whining and griping, remember you signed. You agreed. See? So what you're doing now is you're emphasizing, okay, I, I wouldn't have done that. You know, the, the homework's not done, and it's Friday. I thought you wanted to go to the game, but you know, you're old enough to make your own decisions. So I respect your decisions. If you want to spend the weekend home studying, I'm good with that. And they, they're looking at you with this horror, but they know that's what you set up. If the homework's not done by Friday, cancel the weekend plans because you're spending the weekend doing the homework. <laughs> See, it's that simple. And you can't, I don't care how important that game Saturday was, you can't bail them out. If you bail them out, not only did that not work, but you just taught them, good chance the rest of those consequences, they're not real. It's kind of like the cop that flies by you at 80 and waves at you because you're only going 75. What's the speed limit? 70, 65. I'm usually on, on 91, you know. Everybody knows it doesn't apply. And they've literally done that. You, you can almost not get written up for 66 because the courts will throw it out. Because everybody knows they don't mean it. When I first came to California, I got in trouble because I went over one of those double lines and the guy pulls me over and he says, why'd you do that? And I said, I didn't think you meant it. <laughs> I seriously, I did. I just did one of those online searches and found my criminal record. My criminal record is going over those two lines in 2002. Still there. And he looks at me and he said, what? And I said, sir, I just moved down from Oregon. And I've noticed that the average speed on 91, I commute on 91, it's 75 to 80 every day. It's not 65. So, you know, I go 65. I got people honking at me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a danger. So... I didn't think he met this one either because I see people going over the lines all the time. What did he say? No. He thought that. No, he already did that. He, he just looked at me and said, we meant it. Because <laughs> I already told you, it's still on my record. It's still there, you know. Now, this is called mutual respect. I respect your decision. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That works from about 12 on up. Below 12, yeah, it's going to be a temper tantrum for the average kid. But Okay, 
Now let's talk, we, we had a couple of, but what about this, what about this? Uh, lying. Lying. Okay, first of all, how old? Uh, Seventy-nine. Okay, so let's go with eight as an average. Um, does gender make a difference on this one? What do you think? How many say yes? No. How many say no? I said how many say yes? Nobody. Okay, now how many say no? Okay. Did you raise your hand or are you just abstaining? No, I... Okay, I, just, I didn't see. I would agree. There, I asked the question because in our socializing of our kids, and remember the world's socializing them too, uh, girls and boys are taught some things differently. It doesn't mean we have to change our expectations. It does mean we might want to change how we bring those about. But in this case, no. Lying is lying. Honesty is honesty, and dishonesty is dishonesty. And the reason eight is so important is the, the typical eight-year-old cognitively, can he understand what a lie is? Okay, I would agree. Can he understand conceptually why it's wrong? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it depends on the eight-year-old. Probably not. That's why I emphasize conceptually. But can he understand that it is wrong because that's the society's rules? And if everybody lies, then we can't trust each other, so we have to not lie. So if you remember Piaget and Kohlberg, that, that section of elementary years in terms of moral decision-making is all about relationships and living in society and rules. And eight-year-olds totally understand rules. In fact, they will drive you nuts if you don't play the game by the rules, you know? Because to them, that's like everything. Okay, so we know that they're capable of not doing this, of understanding it's wrong and of not doing it. What's, first of all, is it prevention or correction? Yeah, because it's already happened. Is it level one, level two, or level three? Okay, so how many times you get to make it up? Um, Second times happen in, in how many hours, days, months, or years? Hours. Okay, twice in... Well, no, I'm, okay, the reason why I'm saying hours is because you keep asking them, is it the truth? Did you only eat one cookie? So it's one lie repeated. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Personally, I would treat that as one. Okay. Because... Kids, even that age, totally get being backed into a corner. <laughs> and so they're dealing with the same lie. They just don't know what to do with it. Okay? So I've got a, a lie. But the reason I'm asking that is, again, is this a kid who's also lied yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before? Or is this, this is kind of an unusual thing? When I'm looking level one, level two, level three, and I, by the way, wouldn't do level three for, for that. But... When I'm looking at those levels, yeah, if it's maybe the first or second time, I'm probably, personally, I'm going to float in level one for an eight-year-old. If it's a 16-year-old with normal development, yeah, I'm not buying it. But if this is like, okay, every day for the last week, he's lying about something. All right, now we're, we're at a different level. Let's say you chose level one. What are your possible options for correction? Um, 
Okay, so in level one terms, what is that? Communication. Yeah, you're, you're, you're communicating, you're trying to get her to understand a principle. And depending on how you tell that story, an eight-year-old may or may not understand it. The, the, the concept that's global, yeah, they're not gonna get that. But this kid got eaten by wolves because he lied. <laughs> They'll get that, you know? So, okay. So you can try communication. take a vitamin at 12 o'clock and um, he your dad yeah I did take it oh by the way he has his back to me and I was like going hey that's fine it's great wait I need to get a drink of water and I asked Michael did you just lie to me Okay, so your communication is to take him back to something that... Now, if he values the Ten Commandments, that's very useful. If he doesn't, he rolls his eyes at you. Again, it just depends on the kid. And you, we, we, hopefully we know our own kids. So it's still communication. What other level one responses might you decide to try? Are there any? So you're going to ignore the fact that he lied? If it's something that in the situation with this or that, they, if they knew that you caught them, they know that they were caught with the cookie or he knows he was caught not taking the vitamin. Okay. Let me bring you back to something that's in your manual. There is one one type of behavior extinction works with. Can anybody remember? Attention getting. So if this isn't about attention getting, he stole the cookie. Is that what it was? A cookie? No. Um, right. She lied about eating. Yeah. She said she never had any cookies, but she actually did. Okay. She ate the cookies. She lied about eating the cookies. Is that attention getting behavior? No. Okay. So if I ignore it, what did she just learn? I got away with the lie. Yeah. So that's why we've got to be very careful with extinction. If we use it for anything other than attention-getting behavior, the problem is the, the fact that we don't respond reinforces to them. Because remember, what's their job description? It's to get their own way. They just learned a new way to get their own way. Then... When we come back the next time and say, you know what, that's the second time you lied to me and I can't believe you're doing that. And we, the tendency's kind of wanting to lower the proverbial boom. The problem is now they're looking at us like, what in the world? You didn't even do anything last time. And now there's all of this. And now they're all sorts of confused. So just be very careful with extinction. Communication is by far the most important of the level ones. It may be some restructure or yeah, some restructuring. So okay, here's the problem. I, I I'm thinking that I set this kid up by allowing access when you know she can't handle that. So maybe now I don't do that. I don't know. 
Personally, I'm probably, if the communication doesn't work, I'm probably going to level two. Because I believe lying is an extremely important thing. Okay, And kids can get that, and kids don't always. Beautiful example. We, we lived in, moved into a new neighborhood in Kansas. Our kids were all little, and we always wanted to be that home where other kids would be welcome because we got to watch them, right? I mean, our kids and their kids, so we tried everything we could, and, and sure enough, all these kids are over there. And this one kid smashes in our screen door. Well, I'm standing. I'm like here. Screen door's where you're standing, and he smashes it in. And I look up and I said, Jeff, because, you know, he's seeing screen and he doesn't realize I'm standing there. And I said, why did you do that? Do what? <laughs> Smash in my door. You'd, I didn't do that. I just watched you do that, Jeff. This isn't my kid, by the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm cop. <laughs> I just watched you do that, Jeff. No, I didn't. Okay, Jeff, if you're going to lie, you need to understand, you're not allowed to lie here. So you have to go home. You're not allowed in my yard today. And the kid got this weird look on his face, turns around, gets his bike, starts riding off the property, and as he's doing that, he yells to the other kids, hey, guys, you're not allowed to lie there. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> okay. Taught us something about the neighborhood, too. So what might be a level two consequence? Okay, now, when do you do timeout? Okay, they're overstimulated. Is the lie because they're overstimulated? Okay, it might be, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not drawing conclusion. I'm just saying it's a question to ask. Okay, so in that case, the timeout ends up being perceived by her as a punishment. And with an eight-year-old, there's probably better things. So what might be better? Is there a natural consequence here? Can't have the cookie for That's not natural. natural. Natural is you don't do or enforce anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, cookie's already down. <laughs> I'm feeling good. So natural, yeah, she choked, but, but I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. So natural consequences is probably not happening. So now I go to logical. What might be a good logical consequence? for some uh, eight-year-old who just lied to me. Lied to them? <laughs> like, here, you can have another one. Just kidding. I <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd kind of discourage that. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can have this one. Nope, not that one either. <laughs> I know people who would do that. I know people who would do that. The problem is what you tell the kid is, I'm bigger than you, I can do it, and I can get away with it. So the kid now knows that I can't lie until I'm big enough to get away with it. I think what we want is for the kid to say, oh, lying is not a good thing. So a consequence that might help him or her, in this case her maybe, um, experience this as a bad thing. For example, uh, Sarah. I'm sorry, I always go to my kids' names because that avoids me using someone else's. And So, Sarah, here's my problem. I know and you know that you ate those cookies. And I'm assuming it's an issue because I didn't get permission. 
So you didn't get permission, and you did it. And now you're lying to me on top of it. So I can't trust you. That's my problem. I want to trust you. But I can only trust you to be who you are, and you just told me you're a liar. So from now on, you're not allowed to get any food, any snacks, any drinks on your own. Until when? Usually it's going to be more like, until you show me I can trust you. Because now I just put it on her, and she's, and by the way, they don't have a clue what that means, so you're probably going to have to help her. But I, I'm, just, I'm saying to her, this isn't me. You don't want to did it. You lied. I don't know what, how to trust you now. So until you show me I can trust you. Give me a reason yeah. that I can trust you. Yeah. Or? But, she, but she, you know, show me with an eight-year-old probably is going to mean I don't see any attempt to lie to me over the next week. Okay? Because for an eight-year-old beyond a week, is it might as well be eternity. <laughs> Okay. Now, 15-year-old, that might be a month because their minds can, can go out farther. Okay. What was yours, the, the example? The temper tantrum, the ones where it's, it's, oh. it's not going to be uh, consequences because they're not going to do it because <laughs> it was a two-year-old. Okay, now, like, what is walking away? It's extinction. When does extinction work? For, okay. Do two-year-olds sometimes throw temper tantrums to get attention? Absolutely. So the mom has to make a decision, is that what's going on? Now, in your situation, what you just described, the mom made another decision, and that is, I'm going to allow not only myself to deal with this, but everyone else in the store, too. Okay. I mean, you know, that's a parental decision. I probably wouldn't simply because I don't know what others are going to do. And I've actually seen others literally lean down, pick the kid up, or give them something, worse yet. And so I'm afraid of other intervention. But that parent decided to try extinction. It, it may not be a bad attempt. Now, what if you happen to know that you just dragged that kid through the day with you on your schedule and destroyed her schedule, and she's just out of control. It's, it would be my fault, though, yeah. right? Because, yeah. Um, so do I need to correct something? She's still in the store screaming her head off. and Okay, I'm probably going to save the rest of the store's eardrums. But I got to own, I just, by my structuring, I blew it. So I'm going to pick the kid up, take her out to the car, sit her in her car seat, and let her just scream until she calms down. Because by this time, she's emotionally overwrought, and she's not necessarily in control of this, if, if that scenario is a reason. Now, there is a third thing, and that is that they're, they're trying their own version of consequences. Mom won't give me what I just asked for. There's a consequence to that. I need to teach mom that she needs to give me what I just asked for. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to scream my, my head off until mom gives in. So what, first of all, what does mom never do? Give in. Give in. Yeah. 
Because all you did is just teach the kid, okay, that works, and uh, if it took 10 minutes, then next time, be ready for 10 minutes, okay? But what if mom says, hmm, okay, I'm not going to let this continue. What might mom do? Is the kid in control? Okay, if the kid's actually out of control by this time, no consequences are going to work. Because remember, we're talking two years old. So mom may now do what's going to look exactly like the last one, except it's not her owning her stuff. It's her saying, I'm not going to let this kid do this. And you're moving to what's called forced control, which is a great segue for the next session, which is not next week. So we went three minutes over. I'm going to let you go in about 15 seconds. But next week is FX. Again, strongly encourage you to be here. We are changing the schedule. Dinner is no longer at 6 because a lot of families weren't able to make it. It is at 7, from 7 to 7.30, in the worship center. So forget the, the fellowship hall, show up at the worship center, dinner, and then immediately into the program, which will then be only an hour instead of an hour and a half. Okay? So see you next week over there. Two weeks from tonight, we will have session 7. Okay? Thank you much, guys.